Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, here for a brief intro before today's very special episode. Um, guys, we hope you've been enjoying your time with us. I know we've had a lot of movies this month. It's an incredibly awesome thing we've accomplished together. We wanted to thank you guys and ask you for a little more help. If you would take one second right now, right now, uh, leave us a rating and review wherever you find the show, especially if that happens to be Apple Podcast app. That helps us out enormously, helps us find new people, grow the show. Uh, for those of you who have done it, thank you. It does lift our hearts when we see those coming in. Thank you guys so much. Uh, you can see our faces as well as hear our voices on our YouTube channel, Nerd Alchemist. So go on over there and subscribe. Um, you can find us on all the social media you're on. That's a great place to share with your friends, bring them along uh, for the fun. Also, you can reach the show filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. That's a great place for you to tell us what movies you'd like to hear us talk about, whether that's new, old, double feature, theme for a whole month, a guest you'd like to have on the show. You guys let us know. We'd love to do that for you. Also, as you know, every December we stuff your stocking. So we will be doing all listener selections that month. They're starting to come in now. Um, we never have enough time to get to all of them, so make sure you get in early uh, with your best suggestion for a movie. We'll pick our favorites and get to as many as we can. Definitely not 31, but we are going to try. All right, guys. Today we are joined by writer-director Josh Lobo. He of I Trap the Devil fame, a movie that we love here. Um, we adore Josh. We're glad we got to talk to him. It's been a little while, so it was great to have him back. And he came back to talk about a new movie called Possessor, uh, directed by Brandon Cronenberg. This movie is wild. It's so hard to explain briefly, so thankfully you'll have a, a long episode after this intro to talk about. Um, Josh is a great guy to talk to for this movie. He's so insightful and just, I love the way his mind works. I really just love him as a guy. Um, every time we get a chance to talk to him, it makes my day. Um, he's one of the best. He's one of the best ones. So we were excited to be joined by him. Um, as Josh Minson's in the show, I need to drop a massive spoiler alert. Um, Possessor is a wild kind of film, and I would hate for anyone to start listening to this and have any parts of it uh, ruined for them. So spoiler alert, we're going to talk about all of it, right, as we always do on this show. But Josh wanted to make sure uh, that we issued a very strong spoiler alert because, again, that's the kind of good guy that he is, man. Um, just so excited he could join us. And honestly, like Josh says in the show, this was probably the last really good thing about 2020. Uh, so it was just awesome to finally talk about a new movie that is so exciting and so amazing to watch uh, with such an amazing guy, man. So yeah, go watch Possessor. Go watch Josh's movie, I Trap the Devil. You'll enjoy that one too. And enjoy the show. So, this movie fucked me up pretty bad. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Uh, as soon as I saw it, I think I just, I could only send you a GIF. That's, like, the best I could process of just, like, slack-jawed awe. I think that's one of the weirder twist endings I've seen in a while. This movie hit me on a lot of levels, man. Um, what about this movie 
has really latched on to you this year, Josh? Uh, I quickly, I'm going to, I'm going to, I got to apologize to any of your listeners. I am, uh, sick. I've been sick for months and, uh, Basically, I'm like high out of sickness right now, so this could be this interview could go anyway. Uh, um, yeah, man. No, I, I. That's her. Yeah. This was the last good thing to happen this year. <laughs> For sure, um, man. <laughs> well, it it was crazy because so me and. Me and my girlfriend, we like we live sort of near uh, Park City, so when Sundance is happening, you know, we'll just like take a yonder over, and if you know, try to grab tickets to things. And it was like a really weird turn of events uh, to like how we went and saw this movie. So we 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 drove over there, watched the movie, got fucked up. I mean, got drunk out of our minds, and then woke up the next day to find out that Kobe Bryant had died. Oh my god! So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> So it was a it was a, it was a really strange Holy like shit. Yeah, that's area. like a big glitch in the matrix moment like what happened? Yeah, yeah, you're just like super hungover and like trying to like chew on this and then people are telling you that Kobe's died. Yeah, it's a, it's like it was a it was, it was definitely a, a weekend. But it <laughs> th- this movie is just su- such an insane trip and I think what it is is it's it's completely the opposite of what people think it's going to be going yeah. into it. That was my experience a hundred percent. It's just um, I don't know. You know when you when you and for for anyone that's listening, you know, possessor. It's about uh, basically like corporate corporate espionage uh, agents basically being used to co- like commit like political assassinations using other people's bodies. And and when you know when you when you read that, I think you're sort of braced for something that's significantly more actiony. Not that this one isn't, but like right. this is like it's like a really like heady. It's like a really heady kind of nuanced film. I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Well, no, it's it has this vibe because <laughs> I'm such a dumbass. I didn't even read the synopsis. I was like, all right, a Cronenberg body whore. Like, I get it. I know what this movie's going to be. I had no idea this was an espionage film, right? Like, I didn't know if it was going to be, like, an actual possession or what, right? And uh, I was – because that's what I think – I agree with you, right? Because the opening scene seemed to lead you to this place, like, oh, I get it. Okay, so we're doing the espionage thing. And that is just not where you spend time in this movie, right? There's no – kind of James Bond moments there's nothing like that it's really just it's almost like they're trying to just force you to sit in grief right these people that they they don't know who they are there's a lot of just introspection it was such a weird because that's a, it reminded me a little bit of when I went and saw Antichrist and I was like that's <laughs> not the movie I thought this was gonna be <laughs> and like they just went for something so dramatically different I yeah I I don't I don't know and like I I feel I feel bad I don't feel bad that's that's the wrong word but I feel bad for Brandon Cronenberg just sort of having to be under his dad's shadow because mm-hmm. you know two films in and like he's he's very much doing his own thing and he sort of has been doing his own thing and I I think that 
you know, his interests are sort of in line with his father. Just, you know, how, how could you, you know, I, I love things that my parents love. You're raised in that. But like the sort of, the sort of films that he's making are, are very different. And I think it's kind of an injustice to him to, to talk about this movie in a way, you know, that's overshadowed by his father. Cause it's not. And mm-hmm. if you, if you listen to interviews about him, you know, he's, he's really into the sort of the, like, the like tech espionage, like corporate side of things, conspiracy esque. Um, you know, I, I was listening to something. He was talking about a really great book, which if you haven't read it, it's called Snow Crash. That um, from I don't know, like five or six years ago. And you know, a lot of things like this, like everything that went down with Snowden, and and I just I think this movie is. It's like the most brutal boring movie i've ever seen in a good way does that make sense yeah well there is a weird period in the film where i mean it's probably only like 30 minutes but it felt like its own like three hour movie to me yeah which is really weird because at the end of the movie i was like i'm so fulfilled and that was this intense journey but i do remember there was like this this time dilution right where i was like what the fuck was that all like so i thought the same thing i mean I don't know if it's boring as much as, you know, I felt like I was grasping for anything to hang on to, right? I was like, Jack, when the Titanic's sinking, you're like, I need something to hold on to because this movie just is like floating away from me, right? And I think that's that's like the perfect kind of movie for right now. Yeah, yeah. Boring is the wrong word. That That's kind of a, a bad word. Uh, I, I'd say it's sort of mundane. Like there's sure. like, the a kind of a, mon- a mundane element yeah. to it where it just feels like, you know, you're watching characters basically try to like live as one another and, and sort of like pick up on the nuances of the other people. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that is, that's something that's very interesting to me. And like, this is, I, I would say this is probably my favorite movie of the year and it's grown on me at, at first. I didn't really know what to make of it. And, and sort of the more I sit and stew on it, the more, you know, you're either set up, by expectations or just sort of but like you have an idea of something and if it's not that you kind of have to you know you have to sort of shift what you think something is you know and it, it takes a little while there's a lot of movies i hated the first time that i've, I've slowly mm-hmm. i've slowly grown to love just because like i i understand what the filmmaker was going for yeah, that was me with The Witch. I remember I saw The Witch. I was the most ecstatic I've ever been to go to a movie. <laughs> and everyone's like, it's yeah. the scariest. It's this, you know, Generations the Exorcist. They love putting that on horror movies. <laughs> and uh, I walked in, and I was like, that opening scene, I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, dude. This is my movie. And I was just furiously mad watching the rest of that film, right? It, it ended strong. I was like, oh, god damn it. Like, I thought this was supposed to be a lot. But then, like, the next day I had to go back and see it again, right? Because I was mad that it wasn't the movie I thought it was going to be. But something about it just, like, sat in my brain and I couldn't click it together. So I get what you're saying. Like, yeah. I think that's one of the hard things, too, with, like, you know, once you start adding marketing and this and that in, they're trying oh, to tell oh, someone. Jesus, yeah. uh, another good example of that was the uh, It Comes at Night, right? The Joel Edgerton thing. Where they are trying that marketing campaign yeah, they pulled, did they not sell the movie that the you were going to like, see. I, I, I gotta, and it's I it's gotta, hard, man. I gotta hand it to A twenty four because like so, <laughs> the, the trailer for It Comes at Night dropped the last day we were shooting Trapped, and 
I mean, everyone on set was just like, this movie looks fucking amazing. And like the hype machine rolled up and rolled up. And opening weekend, June, uh, that movie mm-hmm. comes out, makes fucking $12 million or whatever at the box office. And people, I, I saw it in a, so I live in Wyoming. I saw it in a, in a theater filled with Wyoming people on like a Friday night first showing and the movie ends and someone in the audience just stands up and just says, what the fuck was that? Nobody, nobody <laughs> in the audience was primed. The best for, Rotten for Tomato what, review what of all time. To just be like existential despair. Yeah, right? <laughs> do I open the store? I don't know. Maybe. Let's do that for an hour and a half. I mean, yeah, it, and that's hard. And especially something like Possessor. Because again, like you said, it, it has these things that you think it's, I think it's one of those hard things, too, when you're making a movie is to – it's that fine line, right? Because if you get too weird and you lose the audience, yeah. but you also don't want to be where they just are a step ahead of you all the time, right? Like, I watched a horror movie this week, and I was like, it was fine, but you knew every single twist that was coming, right? So by the time it hits, you're just, all right. And this movie just – I feel like it's it's so malleable. That every I felt like yeah. the guy in the movie, right? Like he kept reaching out and seeing those little uh, bits of gray matter or you know play doh, whatever they were. That's how I felt every time. I was like, oh, I got it, I got it. They would shift it so dramatically that then I felt lost again. And and I think that's kind of a cool because that's that's the thing that I noticed in this movie is while it feels like they were constantly losing me and leaving me on my own, every single thing in this movie is reiterating this one point, right? This you know, assassination of the self-image, right? As much as, you know, going to destroy others. I love that everything in this movie is just, how do we see each other, period? And who's watching us and crafting their own versions? And I think that's why I've enjoyed watching it again and again is because I just keep finding, you know, these new wrinkles to dig into. Like, um, the thing that really got me today was when they, they go to work at the big tech company, right? Yeah. And so he's just like has this mundane job of telling them what curtains they have. Right. And then people just happen to be fucking yeah, and like, don't yeah. watch the fucking right. Like watch. So it's this they're being watched. They probably know they're about to be watched. Another girl in the movie even says she like make sure they can see the brand of her vibrator. So they know. Right? <laughs> so these people know they're being watched. So they're performing. He's watching and doing a job for big business. His boss is chirping in his ear. Uh, her boss is chirping in her ear. She's watching. He's watching. And then it all glitches. And then that moment when they see the ring of light and, you know, he has to run in the bathroom. I was like, I feel like we all have those moments all the time in our life now. Because that's that is kind of how we're all living day to day. It's just this massive amount of just lenses we're looking at all the fucking time. And that it's one of those little like throwaway scenes. It felt like the first time I watched it. Yeah. And then it really like was unsettling today. It's it's going to be weird to like, look at this movie and uh, just sort of for some context for whoever's, you know, listening to the podcast, like, you know, we're, I mean, we're talking about this in, in uh, October. So the, the COVID thing has been going on for, you know, almost a year now. And it, it's, it's going to be so strange to sort of look back because what, what a lot of what Possessor does is it, it it it's constantly sort of questioning itself and like questioning like who you are as a person and and sort of like the loneliness of of, of basically being yourself and like maybe being like an imposter in your own body, and I think that's something right now that like weirdly speaks to the times because I, I think I, I think so many people 
are sort of stationary right now. I mean, I know, you know, as a filmmaker, me, you know, you, a million people I know are just doing nothing. And basically the last year has just been spent, you know, holding incredibly still, hoping that this thing goes away so we can sort of go back to being who we think we are. And, and right. yeah, no, I mean, I mean, it's, it's just such a strange, yeah. it's so strange for sort of every year, you know, there's a couple high profile indies, like those are the movies you have to see. And it's, it's really interesting that this, I mean, this was one of the big movies at Sundance before COVID was even a thing. And mm. just like the fact that this movie had started to gain momentum and pick up momentum way before any of this happened. And it just so happened to be about identity, I think is bizarre. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's the funny thing because all my neighbors are like, we're losing it. We can't do this anymore after like three weeks. And I'm like, guys, we all have like furniture and every movie ever at our fingertips, video games. Like, there's never been a better time to have to quarantine in history, right? Like we have every creature comfort right there. People can just bring you food and toys and books right to your door, right? Not that you should have been doing that a lot, <laughs> but if you wanted to, it's all there. And I think that's why we all hated being in lockdown so much because all of these things we build, right, is our how other people see us. And especially, you know, on social media, you put out this version of yourself that you wish you were so that people think you're that. Um, you know, when you're just sitting there and you can't do all that stuff, you're just kind of looking at your wife and you're like, yeah, look at her bullshit. And she's looking at you like, oh, look at this motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> right? And like you're just you're fucking vulnerable and you're exposed. And that's what this movie does, too, is I don't. I mean, you, I don't think you can... The scenes where, like, they're melding together to me are really fun touchstones in the movie because one of the questions you have to ask yourself the whole time you're watching is which one of them is doing which action. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that feels really, yeah. really interesting to the kind of world we live in where it's... I just feel like so few of us are ever honest with ourselves about anything anymore. Oh, totally. I mean, it's, it's all a facade, and you, and you sort of get into... And I think I, I read an interview with him uh, recently that he was basically talking about this movie being inspired by his press tour for antiviral and sort of and, you know, like, I mean, I can I can sort of attest to it that it, it when you go and, and there's been times where, you know, like where I'd be at a at a party or something uh, post post film premiere. And I, I just I had to catch myself. And I was like, fuck, I'm not being myself and I don't know if I like who I'm being. And mm -hmm. and it, it is it's, it's weird to like not feel comfortable enough with yourself to put on, that you have to put on a facade. You know, yeah. you have to you have to yeah. do this. And, and I think what the movie does so well is beyond just like having really like both, you know, every, everyone in the movie is doing, you know, really, really fantastic nuanced work. And none of these are, I would say, exactly showy performances. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they I mean, you have. Andrea Riceborough and Christopher Abbott, and they are basically having to play each other, which is very strange right. <laughs> to the point though. But when, when, when Andrea Riceborough is in Christopher Abbott's body, I believe that it's her. I don't believe that it's just Christopher Abbott, you know, being different. Like it feels like right. her. I don't, I don't know what the coordination of, you know, the direction there is, but it, it just, it, it's so complicated. It just, it, it's really impressive. Yeah, and that is one of the because it is. I would say everyone is so muted in this movie, right? Except for Sean Bean. Yeah, but his is more of this, just like projecting this rich, miserable fuck, right? Yeah. 
So even he's lying to himself. He's probably the only character that really, you know, amps it up at all, right? Like, our two main characters, I guess the only time you really see a rise out of any of them is at the party. Yeah. When they start, when, you know, she is through him pretending to have his meltdown. <laughs> right? You know, I'm a giant. You can't st- Your daughter sucks my cock. <laughs> right? All these things. And then just we cut to outside yeah. and just the absolute stillness of that moment, right? That this this big emotional outburst that you, you know, hear them say to put on. And we just cut outside and it's just like, you know, another day at the office, just sitting outside completely still. And I think that's one of the really impressive things about the performances is when you're that still and the camera's just sitting on you, right? Like when they did Face Off, Nicolas yeah. Cage and Travolta have, you know, big quirks. Right. So when they were playing each other, they're doing caricatures of these big quirks. Right. And this one is just him outside having a cigarette or not, you know, just kind of standing there. But channeling like she's just sitting waiting for the bus, you know, and that's really fucking hard to pull yeah, off. And they do it spectacularly um, through the movie. There, there's this thing where it's like so much of what at least I consider directing to be is is just funny enough stunt like stunt casting in like a good way like you know sean bean is the hit in this movie and, and i think it's so it's so it's such good casting because you you just know that you know you know sean bean is so well known for dying in in films <laughs> yeah and it, it's just it's just really <laughs> smart because the, the movie really sort of like plays with those expectations and sort of twists them and it like it sets it sets up its stakes in, in a way that are like very you know very clearly like I, I think all I would say all of the actors in the film have sort of become I wouldn't say indie darlings but they're in stuff you know what you know what the mo- kind of movies that Christopher Abbott is in you know the kind of recent stuff that Andrea Riseborough's in you know Jennifer Jason Lee and and Sean Bean and so so much of the development is just in, in the baggage that we like bring over for those characters. So, you know, we're just sort of allowed to like live with them as, you know, somewhat defined people. And, and you, you, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's, it's a really complicated game and I, I feel like he pulls it off. Yeah. You know, really, I mean, just it's super successful in my opinion. Yeah. Well, by doing that too, right? When we bring our thoughts of what we think these characters are going to do, we're kind of like a possessor in our own, right? <laughs> so it's like, that's the thing in this movie is it's constantly this. I think I, I love movies that just let you yeah. let you do a lot of the work, right? If you want, you can see this movie. Because that's what I told you. I was like, I feel like as soon as we stop recording, I'll think of like 50 more things I wish I would have said. It's just that kind of a movie, right? Um, It just, the... The cutting between the realities, though, is just something that I found so fascinating. And not even, like, the obvious scene is when, you know, the handler, right? The friend comes out and he's like, hey, I'm here to help you out. But then again, I'm sitting there and I was like, is this even really happening, right? Because one of the gimmicks they keep using in the movie, right, is um, she's trying to kill herself. Or kill himself, right? <laughs> That's the weird thing, too. Yeah, yeah. But can't do it, right? Somehow they are battling, and he won't let her shoot him, right? And the handler says this line that struck me as very odd this time, which was, um, you know, according to company policy, she has to be the one to pull the trigger. Otherwise, she couldn't live with the guilt, this, that, and the other. 
which seems really strange to me this time having watched it because as we can see when she went back to her family all she kept seeing was the murder anyways right why couldn't someone else kill the possessor just to get them out you know like if she kills the guy and pulls the trigger that doesn't relieve that so this is one of those again small moments that then unraveled so much of the movie for me because now you're wondering like this is a question i had when he puts that thing in uh them and it's like oh you had to kill yourself i'm just setting this up i was like is that when they implanted the motion uh go back home you know what i mean yeah. like you never know who's who's pulling the triggers yeah what what strings are, what strings are being sort of manipulated and, and i mean it is it's so it's actually like a weirdly i and it's strange because I, I think the movie is you know so maybe to a fault like off-puttingly cold um yeah. you know especially as you get towards the ending it, it's it's a a very cold film but like there's there's a lot of humanity to it and you know i think so much of you know the reason that these characters have an issue pulling the trigger is that you know i mean she she is like living in this person's life and i she's getting to know you know the idiosyncrasies of like the way they live you know the people they love their day-to-day -day routine so it's like you know it, it what what should just be a, a job you know to kill these people becomes extremely personal mm -hmm. and, and which i which i think yeah you know so the, basically i mean the entire movie is basically about like the disillusion of the self and just like completely like draining yourself of any personality you have in order to become like a corporate machine right and yeah and that's the weird thing too is like why why keep fighting to stay alive right because <laughs> like uh one of the characters that tries to yeah. show warmth is the girlfriend right and she immediately picks up on she's like yeah. you've gone strange on me today right but like still trying she can tell something's off which is one of those keys to us right that something is lost in this process, right? Like she's not just showing up and doing a perfect imitation, right? Something is lost. So there are boundaries yeah, yeah. that she can't even cross, right? Which is fascinating. But one of the moments in the film that I think is just a fucking sledgehammer is so when we're doing the friend who's deprogramming, right? Like I'll give you control for a moment. And they do this cut to the bright red, yeah. right? And um, Andrea's character is laying on the bed, right? And then... Uh, he's coming in from the background and then he starts choking her and then he fucking smashes her like, face in, which is awesome. But when he puts the face on, he starts reliving the things we've already seen her do, right? Outside of her home, uh, vaping, fucking uh, her husband, right? So he, in a way, is in this melting face of her living her life. That's That scene, to me just unlocks so much of what this movie does oh, okay. well, so, right? Yeah. What did you make of that? And I just hope at the beginning of this video you put spoilers because we're, 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 like, destroying... Yeah, we're going to do... We're just oh, yeah, for sure. Everything <laughs> that's cool about this movie uh, for, for the listeners. But, no, I want to quickly talk about, like, the exploding head because there's something so satisfying about it not exploding in gore, but your face just pops like a balloon. And and I, I, I was... Yeah. I just was like oh shit like it and it's just such a weird it's such a weird way of like like pulling that off it feels gratuitous in like a completely different way and and that that whole scene is like mm -hmm. i don't know it's like some bdsm fucking ghost in the shell shit you're like you're like watching christopher <laughs> abbott wearing andrea riseborough's face get fucked by her husband and 
Chris, like Andrea Riseborough's yeah. like skin face mask, and she like looks down and she just has a dick. Like it's just, it's just like imagery that is so s- strange, and it's like it's not that we, you know, I mean, it's not like mm-hmm. these huge effects pieces. It's just very uncanny. Yeah. Well, it just it immediately has this iconography that is just horribly unsettling uh, unsettling to us, right? Like it's it's Leatherface, but you don't need the chainsaw cuz we all already know. The thing I liked about the smashing of the head is that it felt almost like she let him do it in a weird way, right? Because once you don't add all the blood and guts and the oh, this is some horrible event, right? It almost felt like that was him or her allowing him to unlock her head, right? And, like, kind of become one with her in a strange way. So in this moment of horror and, oh, he's wearing her face and shit, I was like, it felt, again, like they were, that was a a mutual moment, strangely to me. Yeah, it's just this, like, weird battle of the psyche. And and I I think that this film is going to have a really long life just as, like, an interesting sci-fi film. I, I... I don't know. Mm-hmm. Have you have you seen his first film, Antiviral? I have not seen Antiviral. I heard it's great, but I haven't seen it. <laughs> you should you should search it out. Um, I I really like Antiviral. It's it's kind of gross, just in like it, it deals with. We we watched it right at the start of no. I think we actually watched it, um, before all of this you know pandemic shit happened. Um, but it's it's about like people buying like diseases from celebrities and in like a weird Ugh. yeah yeah like so if like a like, yeah no it's it's strange so it's like if a celebrity gets like hiv or you know herpes or something they they bring in these special doctors to sort of harvest it and then they sell it to people so that they can they can like share the diseases of, of their favorite celebrities and whoa yeah and, that's like that gwyneth paltrow pussy candle dude. yeah <laughs> But there's some, like, weird shit where, you know, they, like, harvest skin cells from celebrities and then, like, turn it into meat. Like, they, like, grow it like like a fungus, like a meat. Uh, and so they're, like, you can, like, you can yeah. eat some of your famous, your, your 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 favorite celebrity. And it's, like, a... I think I'd be down for that. <laughs> it's it's a really gross movie. And it, 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 it almost tests your patience a little bit with just, like, how disgusting it is. And it's, like, a, a right. noir set in this. <laughs> And I think that I, I really like antiviral. I don't think it's totally successful. It's it's a little dull. And I think that I, I really hope that this that Brandon can sort of continue to get money for these strange projects because it doesn't really feel I mean, he's doing like whereas him and his dad's work is very different. He's doing the same kind of work as his dad. Um, mm-hmm. I would love to see him. You know, if that if, you know, this generation even like allows it him to get like a larger like mainstream movie that you can kind of, you know, impart, you know, his obsessions with. But I I don't I don't even know if those kind of films are getting made these days, to be honest. It's kind of sad. (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes it's so hard because you get these guys that have these strong sensibilities and then you plug them into a franchise and then people are pissed because they make their version of the movie instead of the movie they wanted. That can be that can be a hard road to try. I don't know. I mean, to me, I guess in my perfect world, when I see guys like Brandon Cronenberg popping up, I'm like, I just want to keep them where they are, but just like, you know, make it easier for them to make this kind of a movie. Because 
when I was watching, I was like, man, I just I felt like I haven't seen a movie like this in so long. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like these movies just don't come around and every time they do, it's such a it's such a fucking delight to actually get a movie that's trying something, right? Because like you said, it's really hard because people are going to say, oh, this is cold. It ends unsatisfyingly, right? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, but to me, I I think that coldness actually fills it with an enormous amount of humanity, right? Like instead of, you know, two, two lost lovers crying in each other's arm again, right? This is one of those movies where the coldness and the blankness of a lot of the palettes, I have to fucking put my own heart and soul and shit up there. So in a way it's like, uh, cause that's this, I I'm a sucker. I said this other part. I'm a sucker for uh, any scene in movies where it's just actors looking at themselves in mirrors and going for it. Yeah. That's just such a beautiful moment in any movie to me. And I love seeing actors like how they attack that in this movie is such an awesome array of those moments. Right. Because you have so, so much extra shit going on. And I think that's what, this movie's doing to us right because when they're not giving us anything you are inherently filling those characters with your own stuff right like when they when him and his girlfriend aren't clicking we're filling in our own relationship shit you know like when her and her kids aren't clicking as a dad i was sitting there and i was like do i act that way to my kids like do i just oh okay and like appease them but not really bond with them am i reaching them at all so I thought that, I mean, I don't know. To me, the coldness, I think, works as a, a big asset of this movie in a strange way. Yeah, it's weird that you said you said unsatisfying ending. Because, like, I mean, the thing is, I, I just think everything pisses the general audience off. Like, they just, they're, they're mad at everything. But I, right. I wasn't convinced that I loved the movie until the ending. The, I right. those final, that final for weeks after I saw the movie. Because it was just, <laughs> I mean, it's it's extremely dark. Uh, you know, I mean, we, mm-hmm. we were they're braced for spoilers, so it's like, I mean, it's you know, it's basically Andrea Riseborough, like her entire life is basically destroyed by this body that she's taken over, and you know, Colin take you know takes back control while she's inside and murders her husband, and in the, in the last moments, you find out that. Jennifer Jason Lee has taken over Andrea Riceboro's son and they have to like pit them against each other where Andrea mm-hmm. Riceboro chooses to kill her like what like seven year old son by like sh- shooting yeah. him to death Just fucking shoots him in the face yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like watching it's a I mean it's it's a horror show yeah but I'm with you see I love the ending because I also think the ending gives you like two or three more clues that help you flip the movie around if you want right um, cause to me, I think Andrea Riseborough kills her own husband, right? In that moment, I think she's the one who's killing cause they're having their moment when he calls her out. He's like, you fucking bitch, get out here. I'll kill him. And they like the, you know, the lens flares and they're talking for the first time. And that moment to me was so satisfying. I love that exchange, right? Cause he has that great line in that moment, which to me, it's, it's one of those moments you almost wish it had come earlier in the movie. Because it would be that, you know, stated theme that the audience would be latching on to. But I think he says, you know, imagine if your wife had a worm, right? And the worm gets in her brain and then there's a thought. And then your wife can't tell if it's her thought or his thought. And then she starts doing predatory things, right? And she's not the same. And in that monologue that he delivers, I was like, that is such a perfect crystallization of this movie. Because I think when they're talking to each other face to face in that lens flared limbo region 
I don't think that either of them is absolutely convinced of who's done what, right? When he she kills the husband, though, it feels like her, because what we've seen from her is that she has some kind of desperate need for these physical moments, right? Like, whether it's the touching the blood, right? The way she grabs a knife. The way she kills doesn't make sense for a stealth assassin, yeah. right? She needs that extra, and beating the fuck out of that husband after she just said he's only held me back, that felt very much like something she wanted to accomplish. He saunters over to the you know island or whatever, and he they do the pull me out, and the voices are layered again. I was like, oh my fucking god, she did it, she fucking did it. And then a little more obviously, when she shoots her son like eight times. <sighs> They actually cut to her in his outfit, pulling the trigger. Choosing to, to do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, choosing. I mean, he might have shot first because he had just defended. But that's, I love that. But that's what I mean. I love the, like, shifting jigsaw puzzle of the emotions there, right? Yeah. I thought, I, I think that ending is fucking unbelievable. And the Jennifer Jason Lee reveal, I was going to ask you about that. Because this one, to me, is actually way more nefarious than I yeah, yeah. first thought. Because the way she kills him, too, is the exact same as how they killed the fat politician in the first scene. Yeah. So, I mean... It's the exact same next step. It is... For me, the movie is... It's like a... a what is what, what is that phrase? Like a... It's like a, a company man origin story. And, like, mm. the, the, the end goal is not to kill... Sean Bean. The end goal is to get a successor for Jennifer Jason Lee, because Jen so Jennifer Jason mm -hmm. Lee is is a possessor. You know, she's an assassin, but she's like sort of made clear that she cannot like her body like just cannot take this on anymore. And mm -hmm. and at the start at the head of the movie, you know, Andrea Riceboro looks. I mean, honestly, like I love this lady so much. She just like allows herself to look like shit and everything. And and if yeah. you see her, she's she's so beautiful and just like so right. well put together that the fact that she can just like look like utter trash in all of her movies <laughs> is, is such. She looks like a Tim Burton sketch in every movie. <laughs> it's 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 fucking awesome though. It is. I, I was watching how I was watching Halloween not to, to just digress a little bit. I was like watching Halloween three the other day with my girlfriend's fifteen and sixteen year old brothers for the first time. And like they started to laugh when uh you know I'm trying to think of suddenly I can't think of his name but the, the the actor in Halloween three he starts like Tom Atkins yeah Tom Atkins starts like making out with with the girl and he's just like an everyman and it's like I just yeah. wish when actors could just not look like superstars yeah well he's he's the thing he's like the best version of like a dad you could have actually had right yeah, and he. That movie's funny, too, because I just like that scene, too, where it's like, ah, oh, we got to go find my missing... Oh, let's fuck first. Like, that movie has all kinds of weird shit happening, which is great. <laughs> they fuck, like, four times in the movie. Yeah. Like, and it just... It's, like, it's such a... And, and the thing is, he's just hitting on everybody the whole time. Yeah. I digress. <laughs> but... <laughs> sorry, I had to, had to get that aside in there. But... <laughs> but the whole, the whole movie, it just sort of feels like Colin... Colin Tate's job was to basically break. Uh, I think Andrea Riceboro's character's name is like Tasia Tasia Voss, something like that. Yeah, it's like a shockingly unusual name. Yeah, because <laughs> I remember that too. Because I had the closed captions on, I was like, "Who the fuck is you know Raza Ghoul or whatever?" <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and 
it's cool. I love it. It's like it's like hard sci-fi, like Tate right. Boss, and <laughs> and I think Andrew. I, I I don't know, but yeah, they're just like they have very sci-fi name, and so I mean, it's it just feels like the film is like it's like it is. It's like a, a the stealth origin story of a company man. She's their basic like emotional connection to the world that she has, so that she can just be like the perfect assassin. Yeah, well, I mean, because they say that right earlier when um they're debugging her from her first mission. Yeah. And she's like, I feel like you're here with me, but I see this thread to a life I thought you had left behind. And then they have this running motif of... It's like to remember what's going on. Andrea's character has to look at pictures of things, right? And say what they are, right? Whether it's the animals, yeah, it's like the Inception uh, gimmick, right? Or it's, you know, this is my grandfather's pipe, right? Or this is a, a, a butterfly that I mounted, right? By the end of the movie, when she did that again, that last scene, I thought was a weird one to end on. But I, yeah. I thought it was a cool reinforcing that I don't think those objects are tethering her to anything. I'm not convinced that that was truly her husband and kid. You know what I mean? Like, by the end of the movie, you start having to look and be like, Jennifer Jason Lee could have orchestrated, because this is about yeah. taking over essentially this alternate universe, like Facebook and Google combined, right? So when the stakes are that big, maybe the one being possessed the whole time is Andrea's character, right? Because you get these great scenes of Jennifer Jason Lee just sitting on the couch, like whispering to her when she's, you know, in deep, you know, state or whatnot. And I thought, because that's the, because then you start wondering, there's all these fucking, like, why did he go to her house, right? Why did he start seeing that? Maybe she let him in, they're bonding. But there's this really weird moment in the film yeah. when he first gets there, right? And it feels like it's Andrea again because he's vaping and saying the exact lines like, I'm famished, like practicing being a human being, right? Sees the kid, runs up and talks to the kid. And then there is some kind of passing of time between afternoon to nighttime, right? That in-between moment to me is really strange for a film like this because we don't leave him for long periods when he's having this breakdown. What happens in that period, right? When did they get the son to do his implant, right? And so there it is all like that one little weird decision to go from, you know, afternoon to dusk adds this nefarious. Everything you don't see becomes so nefarious, right? It's like a street magician yeah. where you're like, I know you're fucking me over. I just can't tell how you're doing it. And it's a really cool effect. I I didn't really think about that. Like, when would they have, like, implanted? Because, you know, they, they, they talk about, like, how – I think they called it, like, a spider implant. It, like, dissolves after, like, five days. Five days. So, so they – so, like, the sun being implanted, like, it, it sort of had to have been orchestrated in a way because there had to be some planning. You know, she yeah. can't just jump into the sun's mind. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's something I didn't really think about until now. That it it very well it very well the mission very well might have been just been to basically like clear this woman of her, you know, of her life in order to like turn her into like you know, the perfect corporate assassin. Yeah, I mean, because they talked about they had worked together. They kept saying she had a special nature and how much they had worked together to harness that. Yeah. So you could see just this one extra step, right? But then you realize Jennifer Jason Lee can't do it in the machine as well, but she's doing it really well in person and i thought back to that moment too when she is bringing her back and she's like you know why are you still with this family blah blah, blah. and now i'm like i don't know if that was her family anything like that right 
Because it doesn't quite make sense. She doesn't live here. Yeah. She leaves at random times, but then she just comes back and stays at the house and everything's kind of cool. They have dinner with friends and fuck. And you're like, this is so off, right? But then we go back to that Jennifer Jason Lee moment when she walks in front of the projector and she's like, why did you do this kill, right? Why did you stab this dude in the neck when we provided you a gun? And the way she's standing in front of the projector and has the blood all over her, I was like, oh my God, that's her fucking kill. Like she wanted it done that way somehow, right? Because that's how yeah. the kid kills at the end. So, I mean, that's what I mean. It's just like, there's so many cool moments. And I never, I feel who's, like who's if I life? if I had watched it a couple more times, I feel like there's always a tell when we're doing a switch is when we hit one of those really vibrant color rooms, right? So when she first goes into the woman, she comes out of the elevator. It's like bright yellow staircase. Then we go in and do the kill. When she first wakes up in the body of the man, right? The whole room is just pink. Yeah. For some reason and like more. So I feel like there's probably something there that I just haven't sussed out yet. I need to, I need to, I, I'm really excited. I know right now it's, so it's in theaters and, and it's like, mm -hmm. I'm excited. It comes out in November. It comes out like the day of the election, which is hilarious. Yeah. Oh, gee, that's pretty yeah, ominous. Yeah. <laughs> the day of the election on, uh, on video streaming services. I'm really excited to buy it and like watch it like on large, oh, yeah. you know, screen where it's like, I love, I love seeing things in theaters, but there's something about when you get home, you can really sort to sort of start to like digest them. And hopefully this will have like a commentary. Cause I'd love to just get into his mind a little bit more. It's such a, the fact that we are like even having this conversation right now, just sort of about like the nuances of like a, a sci-fi horror movie is just, like mm -hmm. I appreciate that. I feel like I don't. There's there's only a couple movies a year that come out, and you're just like fuck. Like there's there's some layers here. Like let's like deep dive into it. And and yeah, can I ask you about that? What one of the things that really I thought was really fascinating is the uh, her extra aggressive kill methods, right? Because I think this is another one of those cool like. You, you put it in there, right, and it hits the horror fans just right. Like the, oh, yeah, fuck yeah. Like, the kills are absolutely brutal in this film, yeah. right? Um, very unforgiving. You know, you want to look away, but you can't. What do you think the movie's telling us that she's decided to kill in this manner? For At least for me, I, I sort of just thought the fact that her kills are getting more and more brutal was just sort of like a, like a last bid to kind of, like, connect with some sort of humanity. Like... You know, like maybe if she just like brutalizes these people, she might feel like something. Um, right. And and yeah, it's it's just like you know you're so out of touch, and and I, I it does it does a it does a really great job of like just showing you right off the bat like how out of touch she is when you know she's coming home to her wife and kid and is like basically like rehearsing the lines to just like greet her kid. You know, it's that's it so is, creepy. As a person with kids, that scene was so unsettling to me. <laughs> because she's not, she's not rehearsing, you know, like, you know, where has she been? It's just like, hi, honey, how are you? And the fact that, like, you yeah. couldn't, like, bring, you know, the the ounce of humanity that it takes to do that. It just it just sort of shows how far gone she is at the onset. And, and yeah, just the yeah. killing, I, I just think it is just this sort of, like, last bid to kind of, like, recapture some of what makes you a person. Yeah, because there's that awesome moment at the start when she finishes killing uh, that fat guy and she just, like, is running her hand through the yeah. blood. 
is just like she needed some kind of sensory moment, right? Whatever it was. But she stabs that motherfucker like 30 times. And the movie does a really good job of showing you the physicality of what an act like this entails, yeah. right? Like that is that is brutal to think about stabbing someone for like a minute straight. Like the breath and the the muscle, right? And we see it like three fucking times. But that one is so yeah, because she she goes in and gets this gnarly kill, stabs him a bunch, and stands up. And then I couldn't tell when she got out of the body, right? Like she's like, ah, that wasn't what I wanted. Was that her or the young lady she had possessed who pointed the gun at the cops, right? Because she didn't release herself that I time, think, which then throws into question the later. <laughs> I, 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 again, I, I feel like when because they're not she, she especially her is having like trouble pulling the trigger and killing themselves, and she's sort of getting shit for it in in the first part of the movie. I think that is. Yeah, that one tech that looks like Leonard Nimoy was going. Like, it's like remember to pull the trigger on the way out. It's like the that's like the trailer moment where they're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I can also I can just imagine a world where like people that like watch the trailer watches or like you know I would say like they like watch the trailer and they watch this movie just like being furious because it's not like you know it's not that like pulse pounding you know like sci-fi mm -hmm. action like I I was pissed having I had seen the movie and and I was telling you earlier that that like having seen the movie it's like really weird because like when the marketing machine started to like you know ramp up again i just was like getting excited it's like oh man i can't i can't wait to watch this like oh shit it's like no i've, I've already seen it but right <laughs> yeah, i was like really excited for there's like that i think i like iconic trailer song i don't know if you've seen the trailer you know but it's like this like dun 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 mm -hmm. dun 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 and it's like it's a really cool piece of music and so i don't know it was like two weeks ago i like stayed up you know later and like downloaded the the soundtrack album on my phone which is done by jim williams who's who's a genius and i just was like looking for that song and it wasn't in the album and i'm like what the fuck is this <laughs> yeah man the music for this movie is fucking spectacular too yeah i mean it's just one of those it's such a it it's just such a weird but fascinating thing because i i feel like what that's what my fear is for this movie, too, because I'm like you. Like, I can't wait to purchase it in my home and just go shot for shot and do my little, like, aha, that's the change moment, right? Like, because I think he killed Sean Bean, right? I don't think that was Andrea still. I think that was Sean one of the Bean first moments die. of the, the like, sliding around. Does this, does, this, does this look like a man who's dead? Maybe doesn't die. I don't know. Do you think Sean Bean died? Andrea Riseborough walks up to him on a wheelchair and he's sitting there, right? As they, she's like losing control. He wouldn't have physically been in a like nursing home with that guy. Yeah. Huh. That's also when we see a flash image of her son who's um all fucking cut up. Like he looks like a pet but cemetery there's also kid. Like news recordings and stuff that Sean Bean had survived. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he yeah, was in yeah. a hospital. Then, you know, that's right. That's I, right. None of the viewers can see this right now, but my, my Skype background is just Sean Bean with his eye gouged out in a wheelchair. <laughs> just fucking yeah. staring at me over your shoulder this whole time. Like <laughs> yeah, that's true, because I guess I assumed he died, because that also has that weird image where when he first comes out and is pulling the implant out of his head, right, like the Terminator scene, Yeah. he... um he sees a flash of what looks like a caved in Sean Bean face. Yeah. So I just assumed he died. I forgot that they had like said he had, yeah, it. Like, he was clinging to life in a yeah. hospital. Sean Bean, like in his contract is just like, I'll do it, but I can't die. Like this. <laughs> like, 
I'll be on life support, goddammit, but I don't want to die on screen. I bet <laughs> But yeah, that God, that I was bet so you that wild. guy has like the best sense of humor when it comes to this shit. I don't know how you couldn't like Oh, for sure. If you For sure, man. You know how many actors would love to be would that you love guy? to just like I feel like I would <laughs> if I was an actor, I would love nothing more than to like be memed. Because it just means that you're like relevant. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. omnipresent. The thing is, it, right? It's not like <laughs> I watch sure. when I watch Lord of the Rings or I watch Goldeneye. I'm not like that's the guy that dies. It's just like no, he's fucking great. Like I remember in watching Fellowship of the Ring as like a kid in Boromir, just like being my favorite character for some reason. I don't know what that said about like eight year old. Yeah. Well, he's the only character in that first movie that somewhat has an arc in that film. Everyone else's arcs are spread over like yeah. nine hours a movie. But his is like a really succinct, easy to understand and relatable yeah. moment. And then he dies like a fucking badass. Yeah, I love dude, I love that guy. I love that guy and I love that movie too. But what yeah. I love too is that when when you when you would like got to like the two towers, like the extended cut, how they like he's in that movie too, because he's in like all the like taking of a skillet stuff. So Right. And then they had his brother who's kind of like a poor man, Sean Bean, just trying to do the yeah. exact same character. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like watching Van Helsing as like a kid and there's that like goofy monk who's like Van Helsing we need to uh, uh, kill the vampires and it's just like that's Bor oh my god yeah, that's Bor no that's Boromir's pussy brother <laughs> I fucking <laughs> forgot <laughs> <laughs> yeah like I fucking love I fucking love Van Helsing that's such a, it's such a good movie I know I remember seeing you do this on Twitter and I was like are you probably like the number one fan of Van Helsing in the entire world I have I have to stop talking about any movies that I like on Twitter because it's just like, I I I don't know. I, and just for like context, like I was reaching out to Griffey like two weeks ago. I was like, man, we got to do a fucking podcast about Wes Craven's My Soul to Take. That movie's really underrated. And like, <laughs> <laughs> I like I like that movie too, though. Yeah. Oh, you like that movie too? I do like that movie. Great. It has like a four percent on Rotten Tomatoes or something. Yeah, I mean, I can see why people don't like it, but I personally thought it was a cool movie. <laughs> and I'm actually, I rewatched Van Helsing in quarantine, and I didn't think that was that bad either. <laughs> so, I remember hating so it adamantly when I saw it in theaters, and then oh, it man. grew on me. I guess I don't know. I saw it as like a kid. It was uh, my my town had like a, a drive-in and uh, yeah, do double features, and it went away. And the last movies I saw in the drive-in where it was a double feature of Hellbolsing. And I, I just like, Oh, that's awesome. I can't, I can't <laughs> like nothing will cloud that. And I don't know. I just, it's like the older I get, the less like critical I am of things because like, I, yeah. I just think that most movies have, if you, especially like studio movies, like if there's a shitload of money involved, like something has to be good, you know, like something, yeah. some part of this movie has to be enjoyable. And I feel like if you can just sort of like lock into like what, like, what that thing is like van helsing has like crazy monster action it's like that's awesome mm -hmm. i don't care that you know kate beckinsale and hugh jackman's relationship is whatever like it doesn't bother me i can just sort of look past that <laughs> yeah well they essentially just made like a comic book godzilla movie right like at the end when it's like super dracula fighting super van helsing i'm like yeah, yeah that's like, cool like i'm this into is, that this is <laughs> like that part's awesome i i guess i just like I, I would much rather watch, quote-unquote, a bad movie than something that is sort of, like, self-serious and bad, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I just, I always... I, yeah, that's the absolute worst. I'm 
myself like coming back to i mean like fucking last week i was like watching like david goyer's the unborn i'm like this is great i like rented it right but see that's what i that's what i like about the because i remember the unborn leaving the theater and i was just like god damn it because that one had that trailer and i was like this is gonna be the jam like this is gonna be and i hated it but then yeah you see it later on streaming and you're like why was i like lit up about that i don't even remember like it's fine yeah it's just like a fine enough movie (laughs) yeah and like they're all shot on like older you know like those mid 2000s movies were like all shot on film so they look gorgeous so even like Mm. even like the the worst schlock looks pretty good you know and it's just like it's it, it just like you can do a lot worse like trust me i would i would take bad studio movies over like these like recent bad indies any day and and mm-hmm. i i love indie film i think indie film is, is a very cool place to be and kind of like make weird shit but like a lot of indie film just sort of looks and feels the same because there's no money behind it at all so it's kind it's kind mm-hmm. of tedious and i just feel like when i'm watching you know I, I go to a lot of festivals and i watch a lot of stuff it just all feels the same and i, I always just sort of think i'm like fuck that would have been good had they had larger budget or they had you know more resources yeah. and with like shitty studio movies it's like well you know they had resources they just they chose to do this <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's what you lose. Like, it might be a little more watered down because of all the chefs, but, like, it'll look awesome. It'll have, like, some big-ass things that no one else can yeah, accomplish. Yeah, most of them have... Yeah, I don't... Doors. I don't know, man. Yeah, it's crazy, because it's, like... But that's, again, why I think something like Possessor is, like, that rare... Because I feel like the indie world has kind of hit this moment, too, especially in these kind of movies, where it's... Maybe people are too in on the joke. They're out thinking the room, so they get really convoluted or you know it's like oh this is the throwback to like 80s slashers but it's so much to the point that it becomes not fun to watch and this one just finds that perfect mix of utilizing the lack of weapons and just by having such good visual touchstones that it because it feels bigger than it is it's really that like perfect indie sweet spot where if you use the weirdness and the lack of tools it becomes more I feel like this movie, it just feels like a movie that was, like, developed organically without, like, mm-hmm. without, like, thinking. And, you know, I, I, I'm I guilty of this, too, as, like, a, as, like, a young filmmaker where I just, like, I'm thinking about, like, how am I going to compare this in a room? Am I going to be, like, this is, like, this meets this? And I, I don't feel like Possessors like that. I feel like <laughs> Possessors, you know, you can, like, there's, like, there's, like, a very in my mind an obvious nod to like the shelling sequence in, in ghost in the shell um but like it feels organically its own thing and not like it not like yeah. the movie was made to appease fans of you know whatever <laughs> whatever yeah, yeah certainly i think that's the cool thing though is like when you see the really good indie movies it feels to me like the most transportative of you know someone had a really strong idea or a visual that they wanted to put on film and they got it right like this movie feels like it flowed right from the filmmaker's mind and i feel like most studio movies you don't feel that i think you said it right that organic thing right that you know indie just seems to have sometimes when the best ones achieve it 
But yeah, this just felt like I was in, like I was possessing yeah. Brandon Cronenberg's head, you know, and watching exactly yeah. what he and wanted this movie about, to be. Like, indie film too, which is cool. Where it's like, and my favorite indie films are the ones that feel dangerous. I I think I think yeah I think Possessor has yes. sort of capitalized <laughs> it in a way that I don't love. Like I genuinely think calling it Possessor Uncut is is stupid. Like I just think that's dumb. Uh, it it's like. The reason yeah. this movie is uncut is like because there's a couple dicks in the movie. You know what I mean? It's not like there's nothing in this <laughs> scene in some iteration in another movie. You know, it's not like like it, it's yeah, not right. like a twenty four put out fucking Hereditary and was like Hereditary uncut because you fucking see some dicks and it's just I don't know. It's it's a weird. <laughs> You see yeah. some uncircumcised dicks flopping well, around. Like, <laughs> we gotta get that niche market. And you like watch a child's <laughs> head be like knocked off with a fucking light pole. It's 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 I, this possessor is a, yeah. is a hardcore movie and it's it's violent and and sort of in a lasting way. But I don't know. I just feel like calling it possessor uncut like braces the audience for something they're probably not gonna get. Yeah, it always just feels like every time a movie does this, right? Like the uncut version. It just, it feels trashier and less than yeah. to me in a way. Not to be like all snobby, right? But it's like, all right, so you're going to, like this movie has, right? Like if I saw an uncut version, right? Um, the fingers getting chopped off, the stabbing someone 50 times that you see twice, shooting a kid in the face. It's like there's enough blood and guts and, and whore, right? Like. The horror of this movie doesn't come from that, right? The horror of this movie comes from, by the end of the movie, I don't know who's who and who's in whose body. And it makes you feel really yeah. uncomfortable and it makes you afraid. Like, man, what if, what if, uh, you know, someone's in my head right now? What if, because, you know, it's that thing we're all afraid of. Like, I'll be telling my wife, like, hey, uh, you know, we need a new light bulb yo, out yo. front. The next thing you know, on my Facebook, yeah. I get an ad for light bulbs. And you're, you're like, that yeah. should scare us more. You know what I mean? That should horrify us. And it just doesn't. And it feels like this cro creeping, encroaching thing. That's where the horror of this movie is for me. The violence and stuff is awesome, and I like that when I see it in movies. But in this movie, it, it feels like the violence is helping get across a yeah, point, yeah. right? It's not just like, here's an extra bucket uncut, of guts like, and a couple dicks. Having having <laughs> just rewatched it recently uh, when it came out, the only thing that I can really think of that, like, honestly, I think would, like, tip the scale is the scene where he where he's watching the people you know he's he's basically watching like look there and they're looking for like targeted ads and you just like see that woman like you know vagina spread i'm like oh that's that's the uncut that's the thing that pushed it from you know because you can't you can't do that you have like an, an erect penis or like a spread <laughs> vagina in like a in like an r right. movie but like the rest of it the rest of it it's just like a pretty like dangerous r so i, right. I just don't i don't know i, I just feel like also just calling the movie possessor is a lot better than calling it fucking possessor uncut yeah well it just again it, it breaks the illusion of this is a story right now you're like adding this extra thing like we know the story wasn't enough yeah. here's what you were looking for and it i love when it just never works for me like i'm not i'm not into that either but yeah that's it's so funny you said that right like think about all the shit that we see in this movie and where they got in trouble was like yeah. a twenty second like guy crawling on his wife scene that like I had almost yeah. totally forgot about. Other than I was like, oh, that's a funny job. Like that'd be a funny job to just be like, you know, uh, Valence, 
grommets, uh, butthole. Right? <laughs> I was like, that'd be a funny job to have to do all day. It's, it's so right? strange. To I mean, no, like, no, sorry. That's not on the curtains. The, the society <laughs> that we live in right now is so weird because it's like everything is uncensored, but like also censored at the same time. Like, I feel like society's perception of sex is, is completely different than yeah. what it was. But like everywhere, like I just, I literally am just like on Twitter and like, you know, I'm like, movie, movie, oh, fucking, you know, this, it's just like, it's a part of everyday life, and, and it is for young people, too, which is, I, I have, like, a, a thread to the, the younger yeah. generation, just in that, like, my girlfriend has two uh, 16-year-old brothers, and, and and they, you know, I, like, can talk completely candidly with them about everything, and, and you know, they, they speak like, you know, 28-year-old, they know everything, they spend their money on fucked up shit you know i mean we just you know we're just like watching and like one of them would be like check this out and like <laughs> you know just like watch a video of someone like blowing yeah. their brains out but like it's real and they're just like so desensitized they're just like oh that was cool and then like go back about on with life and i'm like that's fucked up that's crazy when i was a kid i i was like terrified of like the matrix i was horrified yeah. and like now kids are just like watching you know like that's being, horrifying like, targeted with facebook ads for like people killing themselves and it's just it's it's bizarre it's, oh, it's yeah. such a bizarre time to live in yeah and that's the thing it's with such a flood of information and images you know and everyone is doing this social media version of yeah. themselves so then you're deciding what are those images you can share that will get you noticed and that's going to be more and more extreme I, I don't know, man. That's, but that's what I'm saying. Like, this movie fills me with dread because I think, like, the best, like, yeah, Black totally. Mirror episodes do that, too. Where you're like, isn't this kind of already happening? You know what I mean? Like, if we just found out, like, someone could, like, you know, if you put on an Oculus, they could make you kill your wife. Yeah. Like, I think if that news yeah. story came out tomorrow, I wouldn't be, like, impossible. I'd be like, I fucking knew it. You know what I mean? And so that's... The fact that it feels like we're all vessels that can be so easily overtaken, that's what is fucking horrifying about this movie, right? And they have yeah. these beautiful ways to show it, right? The melting faces and, like, the Radiohead video segments, right? Like, melting body, and then the body regrows in wax, and it's his, and, you know, their faces glued together. That's all good, but, man, I just keep coming back to those just... those really quiet moments in this film. Just, they've... I can't get them out of my head. You know, I've watched this three times now and it just keeps fucking with me that, you know, she needs to, uh, you know, practice talking to her kid or one of the scenes this time that yeah. really freaked me out is that when she goes full immersion in the guy that first morning, she still cuts the apple the same way, right? It's a little visual of her cutting that apple slice. And he, she's think, in the room holding a knife with this girl who doesn't know. Can you imagine what that must be like to just wake up in someone else's life and you're just living it and and you're 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 sort of controlling it? But it just it's such it it is yeah. it's weird and and I it's such a smart decision because the movie's set in 2008. It's not set today, um, and I think that's such like a an a, an interesting inverse to sort of like to sort of comment on today's. That's a weird you know, choice. Today's yeah. society, like, look, man. I mean, I fucking I remember back in the days when I was like, you know, was like a twelve year old, where like the only way to like find porn was like I like had to go to the woods and like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, you had to like go and like <laughs> woods porn, classic. Grandpa's uh soggy box in the basement. 
We found some old Playboys that way, yeah. Or anime, that was like another secret one. So I'm like, Mom, it's a cartoon movie. They'd have like a titty. <laughs> You're like, yeah. <laughs> Dead or Alive, like Dead or Alive, like two or three, and, and just like watching like p- pixelated, <laughs> pixelated, like half naked women as like a kid and just being like, this is the best. Oh, yeah. But like, now- yeah, I'm, I'm older than you, but we had that uh, where everyone was like, if you have Tomb Raider and you type in the code, you can see Laura Croft in the shower. Yeah. And we were all like, what? And, like, I went back recently because, I don't know, someone did a cosplay or something, and I looked it up, and I was like, those graphics are so bad. So, so bad. But I was like, to me, that was, like, the height of, like, sexual pleasures, right? Was that I might get to see Laura Croft taking a shower. Well, like, I don't don't know. You you remember when Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, they had that, like, hot coffee thing where you could, like, fuck a prostitute, and, like, if you move the camera a certain way, they would just be, like, like, naked pixelated blocks. Like, it. Oh, really? I never yeah. knew that. I would just, yeah, I knew you could bang them and kill them. I did that a couple times. And then I was like, this feels not as fun as yeah. I had hoped. <laughs> like, it wasn't as cathartic as I hoped. Yeah, video, video games are a weird medium. I remember when I got Red Dead 2 a couple years back. I just, like, the game is, like, so overwhelming and there's so much to do that, like, I just default to just, like, running around, like, killing people. And, and <laughs> right. running around this <laughs> town. But it's, like, the first Rockstar game where you can go first person. So I like, go first person. I'm like stabbing like townspeople to death, and yeah, my friend just like looks at me and he's like, "Can we just yeah. like, play the story?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, whoops, sorry." Like, I forgot. <laughs> yeah. See, like Andrea Riseborough. Then you're like in the game, like touching the puddles of their blood. Like, I need something. to just sort of like <laughs> think about that and like how we as people are sort of out of touch with things i mean i i I know there are a a handful of girls i know from high school that have like only fans and it's like it's not like it's not like a thing that people give a shit about they're just like oh they just do and they're fucking raking it in because men are stupid yeah well like would you rather that she has to work at state farm or whatever like no i think people get it now that's the weird thing like there there is this level of access to other humans that is unprecedented while especially this year we're so fucking isolated and alone. It is such a weird dynamic to watch people navigate. It's just weird, like, what society is accepting of and what is not accepting of. And, like, like I feel like the, the rules of, like, humanity and, like, what, like, keeps you grounded are, like, being, like, rewritten in front of our eyes. Yeah. And and it's, it's a conversation that I find both terrifying and exciting. Because it is, I mean, there's things that forever have sort of been taboo that are no longer taboo, but like the, the, the lines are being drawn, you know? Yeah. My girlfriend brings me, you know, she like, there's a, uh, what's it called? Like it's called society six, uh, where you can like, you know, as an artist, you can like put up something and people can buy prints and stuff. So a couple years, like a year back or so she like, was like for my birthday, I want, you know, this tapestry. And she like walks up to me and shows me on her phone and she's like, this is this piece of art from this one artist, you know, that I found has, I want this tapestry. And I'm like, I was editing trapped and I like went to Facebook and there was like a fucking ad for it. Yeah. And, Dude, I, and I'm that, like, that, 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 that's nuts. It's so horrifying. Like the fact that we aren't like outraged about that every day blows my mind. It blows my fucking mind. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure I, God only knows what's going to be on my phone after we just talked about this movie. I don't know. But <laughs> I think a lot of I think we accept it because I think a lot of oh, I think a majority of it is sort of benign. 
Like I don't, I, I, I think that if, if, if it was leaked and it basically like shared with us all of the secrets of the world, we would sort of be blown away by how like mundane it is. It's like, Oh, the rich people are stealing our money. Like, Oh, you know, politicians are fucked. Like, I don't, I, I don't necessarily believe in these like vast conspiracies. And I, I I just think it's more like people cheating each other out of things. And like, they're using our information to like target us with things that you're going to want to buy. So you just buy it. But that's, I mean, it's one of those things. It seems so innocuous, right? But it's just this sudden reminder that how fast things have changed, right? Because, like, yeah. when I was a kid, I still remember I was of the age where, like, I would still be stoked to get the Best Buy ad on Sunday, circling with a pen what I wanted to buy and what the deals were. So Tuesday I could go in and, like, buy the new shit. And now that's just on my phone all the t- And I think that's one of those things is there's so much happening so fast. We're all just caught in this wave right and it's not gonna stop we're not gonna slow the wheel so i feel like most of our answers are just to retreat to apathy right and just say well fuck it like this is all happening and that's the moment where let's say something like this technology does start to exist i feel like you know a huge portion of the people will say fake news Another half will be like, oh, you know, fake, it happened to me, like, as a defense in court. And then the rest of us will just watch it as a Netflix documentary. So it's like this loss of – because that it's one of the old original fears, right, is loss of self, right? Whether a predator eats us or something invades our body and makes us sick. And that should be really scary right now, but we're already invaded all the time. People are already through our defenses now. And our, and our, our, our privacy is all but gone. Yeah. And it just, it just is, I feel like we have to come to terms with, uh, like one, I, I don't, I don't think there will ever be another, there will never be another world war in the way that like world war two, you know, like storming the beaches, it's all like technological, right. like it's, I mean, it, we're, I mean, we're still in a cold war. Look at, you know, I'm going to be very interested to see sort of like where this next election goes because, you know, I think that will sort of set us up for however many years. But like, we're in a we're in a cold war right now. We are in a social media warfare. Like, I don't know what to believe. Every time I get on Facebook, there's seven thousand different articles where, like, you know, Joe Biden or Donald Trump said one one line thing, and there's seventeen different variations from seventeen different sites that paint them in a different picture. Nobody knows what the fuck is going on. Right. And then everyone only reads the headlines and then starts arguing accordingly. No one ever clicks the article to read it. <laughs> yeah. So- yeah, I don't know, man. It's, but that's it. That's why I think there's a real sweet spot right now for these sci-fi tales, is because, in a weird way, I think we're living in this kind of Star Trek reality that our parents would have never dreamed was coming. No. The amount of technology and especially invasive technology, life and norm-shattering technology that is already here or is coming soon, um, it's so much to even ponder. Yeah. It's so, so much. And in the midst of this, right, you hear these people like, oh, you know, like part of why I think we're seeing so much anger is people like I can't just say it in whatever I want all the time. Right. They feel like they're being shut down and they can't express themselves. And, you know, I don't know if I think that's right or wrong or stupid or what have you. Right. I think <laughs> maybe people are expressing themselves too much in general. I don't know. But you see this like loss of self everywhere. Yeah. 
And I don't think yet that we have like grappled with how how far reaching and horrifying the consequences of that are going yeah. to be in our lifetimes. I That's mean, you're, the other you're thing. You're creative. Like there are so many nights where like I just completely check out and sort of like you know, just like I'll sit awake at night just like having so much anxiety and so it just feels like overwhelmed oh, yeah. and yeah yeah it's just like the the like existential despair is just like you know t- 10 out of 10 red alert like and it's like i'll i'll, I'll del- i try so hard to like delete twitter delete instagram t- try to unconnect yeah and like sometimes it helps but it's like that constant inf- influx of fucking information is just like has us so kind of gacked out on it that like unplug i mean one it's a addiction so like unplugging i know i'm like terrible at texting while i drive so like the new iphone has this thing where when you're driving it 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 basically you have to like bypass it to tell it you're not driving and it's it's, like great because i I can't go five minutes without like processing some new information and you know everyone's watching all the friday the 13th movies i need to be doing that but i also need to be watching this and i need to be and it's like it's too much there's too much and and like the generations moving forward i feel like are going to be so fucking handicapped or they're just going to have like a total like they just do not want like a total opposition to fucking technology yeah i mean it's so weird because my kids are already like into that they binge watch all the shows and they're really hooked in i'm like dude you're five like it's so strange and yeah, I don't know, because like even this, we run a film podcast, so everyone just assumes I've seen every movie ever. And if I admit I haven't seen something, even if it's new and not out yet, what they the look fuck? at me like I'm a failure and my show should get shut down. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, how do you guys have all this time? Like, what if I want to take a walk for my dog, but I'm now three episodes behind on The Boys season two? It's yeah. just like, it is this like always hanging. And in a weird way, that's that's one of the things I love, the analog to this movie, because I feel like so many people that don't matter in my personal sphere, right? Like, you know, everyone matters in their own lives and shit. But to me, like these just faceless internet whatevers, like how easy it is for them to take space in my head and disrupt my whole day and send me on a different path is fucking crazy, right? And it's not because I got put in a van and had a medical team and plant something. It could just be some guy, like some guy on Twitter today just took a shot at us. For yeah. no reason, right? It was just like a fucking thumbs down or something. And for like 30 minutes, I'm like, I should say something. I should message him. Uh, and then I was like, why? Like, I don't give a fuck. I don't know that guy. But it's like that guy owned my headspace yeah. for an hour while I was sitting in a car. I, just, I You know, if, if anyone on my Twitter feed ends up listening to this, like, I, I'm sorry. But, like, the reality is I have, if I follow, like, them, it's for me. It's like if I if I want to search out what you have to say, like your opinions, I'll just search it out. And like if I, the thing with like following and unfollowing, I look at like followers as like these are people I know that I sort of interact with at times. But I don't need to sort of always know exactly what you're saying all the time. So it's like muting them is like an interesting way to still be like we're friends, but like I'll look at your information when I want to look at it. And and I can't it. I can't, I can't keep up with it. You know, I, I see people that fucking, right. <laughs> the, the director of Thunder Road, Jim Cummings, he follows like 12,000 people. And I'm like, if I had 12,000 fucking opinions buzzing in my mind, I would kill myself. I would fucking die. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Well, you see these accounts cause people are, you know, that's like the name of the game. Like you got to get social media following this and that. And we'll see these people have like comparable 
states or whatever, and someone would be like, well, they have 10,000 followers. You look, and it's like, oh, they're following 9,500 people. It's just like, good Lord. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a weird transactional thing. And I don't know, man. I just – I feel like this movie, if you take away, like, the technology thing, right, and it was a mystical thing, I think that's kind of what is fascinating about this movie is it's very science fiction, but it plays as, like, a mysticism movie to me. Yeah. Right? Like, you could make this same movie where she's just doing it with, like, candles and tarot cards, <laughs> and it would play the exact same to me. Yeah. Right? But it's just the adding of the technology makes it so ominous for right now. I keep – Right, like every time I see someone vaping and staring, you know, obliviously at their phone or something, now you're gonna be like, oh fuck, what if? I what keep, if? Uh, <laughs> I keep digressing here, and it just like, it, well, one, this is like one of the first conversations I've actually had about this movie, but I keep digressing to like different things <laughs> in, in life and and technology because I think the movie opens up a can of worms where it's like, you know, whether completely yeah. intentional, and I, I think the world that Cronenberg built is like very realistic in that like every every second there's some new piece of technology that is like either five minutes out or is kind of brand new that i'm like oh this is scary mm -hmm. because of this and this is scary because of this and it doesn't it's not exactly like yeah. the central concept of the movie but it's just like it's just like it's just we're, I mean, we are just surrounded by terrifying all the time and yeah yeah, like everything in our life is a possessor yeah. of us. Because when you said addicted, that smacks me a little bit in the brain. We're like, oh, fuck. Because I'm the same way. Like I wake up in the morning and before I can even put my glasses on and like my eyes have focused, I'm already typing in my phone yeah. code. Like what happened when yeah. I was asleep? And it's that is it's one of those behaviors I do that horrifies yeah, totally. me. But I've never done anything to like correct the problem, you know? And I think that's what is cool. I think the digression of this movie is what's going to make it a classic because it's not just something like specific to right now, right? It's not, oh, our house is on a Indian burial ground, right? Oh, you were a, a horny counselor at this camp, right? This is one of those movies that's just telling you it can come from anywhere. It can come from far away. They don't have to know you. There's nothing hyper-specific or tied to any of this. And at the end, the horror just happens to be in yeah. your house. You know, I mean, that's what makes this movie so fucking effective and horrifying because we all are doing this to ourselves all the fucking totally. time. And I, I don't I don't know if anti, I think maybe antiviral didn't hit as hard as this one, because I mean, antiviral is like a very like confident debut film. But like, I don't know if it hit as hard because I don't think it's as like we are obsessed with celebrity, but like not not really anymore. We don't really like there aren't really like super celebrities right now it feels it feels like that bubble has sort of exploded and now it's just everyone's attention is in too many different ways but like where possessor mm -hmm. feels like very like relevant to the time and I, I i see i again like i don't i think it's super unfair to compare them because i think brandon and david cronenberg are both making very interesting things but where where i will say that i think brandon is following in his dad's footsteps is just that like he is making movies that are wholly his own that I've like tapped into like, like a fear that like the zeitgeist has the way Cronenberg mm -hmm. too. I mean, you watch the fucking brood and you're just like, Oh, this is about divorce. This is when people started getting divorced a lot. Like, you know, it's, <laughs> it's terrifying. And I think, yeah, well that was the cool one where it's like mothers who want to be their own person and in the workforce and the, you know, the way the child just takes from them. That was a horrifying, but no, I, what I thought too about this movie is, and again, I don't think they're comparable, but I think what's fun, right, is that 
this movie to me was very Videodrome adjacent, where it's, but where it, as Brandon is focusing so much on the mind and the internal, you know, struggle, Cronenberg's felt like everything's attacking the physical, the flesh, right? Even though Videodrome is a theater of the mind movie, yeah. it's so much more I, I, I meaty, don't know. It's, it's, if that makes any sense. It's something strange, and, like, I, I, I know for a fact that, like, I listened, or at least, you know, my movie was never, like, on this sort of same scale marketing-wise, and, you know, just it didn't blow up like this, but, like, I listened to every piece of content where people were talking about it. So, you know, if Brandon is anywhere like that, you know, and he listened to this, like, I, I, I think something that's, like, interesting is not that, like, like I, it just—I think it's such a cool concept to have like a father and a son that are both two filmmakers, where their films are genuinely terrifying because they're tapped into something that is like happening now, and that—that that is something that's very rare, you know. I—I I, I mm-hmm. think that that's something that should be embraced. And I would—I just, you know, I want someone to come and give this guy fucking twenty-five million dollars so I can see whatever like terrifying shit he could come up with with that, you know. Like just scare the shit out of me. Like give me. If this is, if, you know, yeah, viral and fucking, you know, antiviral and possessor, his like videodrome and like scanners of his career, like, I want to see your fucking fly. You know, I want to see your fly. I want to see your Eastern promises. Yeah, man, for sure. I mean, I think that's the, what'll make me sad about this movie, I feel like, is it's going to get caught in that debate that we all do online. Like, is it horror? Is it not? Is it scary? Is it not? That's <laughs> like, so few movies actually can really harness dread, right? Yeah. That, like when I turn the movie off, I'm actually afraid, let alone even making me afraid when I'm watching the movie. Like when I watch something like Underwater, right? Underwater came out this year as a really fun movie, super fun ride. But was I actually scared for anyone in that movie? Yeah. Was I actually like being emotionally moved? Not really. It was just fun, cool monster movie, right? This one, like whatever it, people are going to do and put it through the ringer because of expectations and whatnot. This movie has owned me for two weeks now where I think about it constantly and it has infected and seeped into my reality. And that's true dread. That's really accomplishing something, you know, that I think a lot of movies don't. And so I hope that people can make it through, you know, those, those little bit, little tiny hurdles right that you know most movies have removed for us but i think I, that i would just i really like when movies have those sometimes you know what i mean i don't know maybe it's a film snob thing you're like i want to work for it it's what i do <laughs> i just basically have accepted the fact that i just watch what i want to watch and it's like i don't need to watch all of these showtime mm-hmm. shows i don't need to watch all of these like hbo shows I- i'll never fucking watch lovecraft country i just never will i never will like sit down and be like i gotta watch this right now <laughs> but yeah I-, I i i hear that but like every everything right now is really good that's the issue it's, it's all- really good it-, it all has money <laughs> i'm watching fucking gangs of london right now having a great time at the end of the year, that's, that's probably going to be one of like the three shows that I watched this year, and I'm I'm going to have a great time, and it's like it's okay, and I just I hope that enough people sort of do that to where, like I don't find myself necessarily getting burnt out because yeah. I don't watch every indie that comes out, I, but I just like I don't have the bandwidth for that, and I I, I want movies that I <laughs> yeah truly, and I, and I want uh, yeah I feel you man, and <laughs> I I watch to have some sort of like impact instead of just like numbing myself with every fucking piece of content that's out right now yeah 
Oh, that was like when I got Shudder and I was like, oh my God, I haven't seen every single horror movie ever. And people on Twitter are saying like, if you haven't seen this, you're not a good enough horror fan. And so like, I got so choked on Shudder, right? It's like the first like six months I had, I feel like I watched nothing else but Shudder movies. And at the end, you're like, now this is like homework, right? Like my mom got me that book for Christmas, the thousand and one movies to see before you die. And you're like, I have to watch these or else something's wrong. You're like, no, I don't like most of those movies. Like, I feel like I'm to the point now I watch enough movies and I have enough knowledge that like, if I haven't sought it out by now, I probably don't need to see it. Right? <laughs> like super pretentious older movies. Like I, I bought the fucking Ingmar Bergman box set for last year and I just have never <laughs> opened it. And like, I, I no, that's a lie. I like opened it and I put on eyes <laughs> and whispers or whatever. And I like, I watched about half of it and was like, this is great. And I like turned it off and like fucking run my soul to take or some shit. You know what I mean? Van Helsing again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's just hey, like, man. I just, you just don't need to watch everything. And like the sort of like flood of information and the flood of advertisements. I'm like, I got to watch this book. I got to read this thing. I got to keep up with this. I got to like, like the lot. There's the loss of self. Yeah. Too much. Yeah. It, and so it's just bringing it back to possessor. It's just like, you know, it's just like such a weird movie to be coming out adjacent to like all of us trying to like figure out who we are. I hope you don't have to kill your kids to find out. Yeah, he brought it on himself. <laughs> yeah, no, if my kids ever come at me with a knife, that would be a really hard decision. That'd be a horrible day to have to make that choice. Kids, we gotta. <laughs> You're out, buddy. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's right. You hit. You made your last mistake now, pal. No, ugh, ugh. but see, that's what I mean. This movie's horrifying. Like that's just one of those like added on it's, things. It's a, it's a lot. Ugh. Yeah, I don't know. I'm ex- I'm excited for like it's the- so much. And then when their blood touches, uh yeah, it's beautiful. I love it. What an image. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. He made a short film. Um, it's like, but is it even her blood? Right? Whose blood? Who knows? Strabbit's blood. Yeah. Who, knows? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> We'll have to have you back for a, a Van Helsing and My Soul to Take double feature. We've talked about Lost Highway. We're we're getting quite a list, a backlog. <laughs> just, well, let's just – we don't need to talk about – I got, like, really excited about My Soul to Take, and I was just like, I don't know if this this constitutes, you know, two hours. Uh, I mean, we Lost just did Highway. Candyman 3, so any movie can literally become a whole episode. <laughs> I wish Alex could be here this episode because I would love to hear what he thinks about seeing dicks i think alex would like the dicks and be less cool with like the invasion of mind i think that would trip him out he we both have a pretty high anxiety levels so i think this would be a really tough one on alex he's like the opposite of the mpaa they're like a dick like you're like yeah for sure well his one is i i have forced him to watch the evil dead remake because he doesn't like blood and guts and gore oh my god so I was like, this movie could really be like a perfectly weaponized against Alex movie. <laughs> that movie is a fucking masterpiece. I fucking, I stand by. I Absolutely. Stand by it. It's, I, it's the best. Well, I, I think it's better than all of the Evil Dead movies. Like, it's so good. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to make a remake, that's how you do it for sure. Yeah. Um. All right, man. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for talking about possession. I'm glad that I have someone I can talk about because I feel like that's going to be the hard thing, too. Yeah is getting my friends and neighbors to watch this movie. Hopefully they all will. But yeah, I'm glad we got to talk, man. I'm Thank glad you. you're feeling yeah, better. Yeah. So six months from now, I'll, I'll be in, I'll be bright as, you know, bright as can be. Then we can talk about a lot. Right. You'll be all back. The world will be back to normal. I'll hopefully. see you guys on the, uh, the My Soul to Take 
edition of the film alchemist podcast <laughs> for sure man all right guys uh stay with us more horror movies coming this month thank you for your patience thanks, uh thanks again josh lobo for joining us